Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? It is a massive wall in front of me. Is that awesome or what? Can we give it up one more time? Praise God for who you are and what God's doing among us. Just to give you a couple little details in the midst of all of this. Actually, across all four of our locations, the bridge gave over a million and a half dollars this past week for the building for the generations. Come on, give it up. All right, yeah. There'll be a newsletter coming out later this week. It'll come to your mailbox. It'll be in the inbox as well uh, to give you a lot more details about what the next steps are, where do we go from here, and all that kind of stuff. But we're gearing up right away. We're going after it. God's going to do some amazing things in the days ahead. Our children gave over $1,000 themselves. Praise God for that. And so the commitment we made is we'll find something in the New Bridge Kids area that specifically we're going to spend that $1,000, maybe add a little to it, and, and just dedicate it to the Bridge Kids who gave the money to make that possible. So we appreciate that because this is a church that cares about children. Can I get an amen in the house? And if you're not serving in Bridge Kids, you're the one that's missing out. I try to do it two or three times a year and I get Pastor Luke or Pastor Andy to come fill the pulpit because I just love being with the kids and I know you will if you'll commit to, give, to be a part of that ministry as well. Let's get into it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Fabulous time of year. Aren't you excited about Advent season? Yeah, the lights are up all over the place and music is playing in all the malls and shopping centers and restaurants and all your shopping is done. You're going to just chill from now on out. It's, it's every reason to be joyous. But can we be honest? At the same time, there's a whole lot of joy. There's every reason to be hurting too. I mean, that's just the reality of this season. Uh, you know, it's, on the one hand, it is the most spiritually significant event in all of human history. And yet, it has become the most secular and commercialized holiday we have. The, I mean, the conflicts are amazing. The, 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 the idea of the um, supernatural aspects of this thing. I mean, this, so think about the Christmas story and the original Christmas story. The supernatural aspects of all of this are phenomenal. I mean, angels appearing willy-nilly all over the place and, and virgins having babies and, and a brand new star. I mean, the, the people that study this stuff tell me that, that the light that you see in the sky actually left the star a million zillion light years ago and we're just seeing it now and yet in that moment there's a new star in the sky leading the wise guys to where the baby was took them two or three years to get there but nevertheless that star was I mean just all kinds of supernatural amazing kinds of events not to mention God coming to earth as a baby it's pretty powerful stuff. And so here we are in this aspect of, of the supernatural juxtaposition with the secular. And quite frankly, if we can be honest, our beliefs kind of superimposed against our doubts. I mean, all those stories, are they, are they true? Did, I mean, that stuff actually happen? Or are they just kind of quaint fables that we tell our kids because it's a great way to tell the story. I mean, and if you have any doubts about that, is that okay? If you have doubts about some of those supernatural things happening, um, uh, but you want to believe, how, how do you get there from doubt 
to believe. To answer those questions, as we get into this series called Christmas Conflicts, we're going to deal with that issue of our beliefs versus our doubts. And to do that, we're going to go to Luke chapter 1. If you brought a Bible, you can flip there. That's where we're going to be most of the time today. If you, uh, if you didn't, that's fine. Just go to the Bridge NC app and, uh, and, and open notes, and all the scriptures that I'll be sharing with you are listed there as well. Or you can go to the Version Bible. We will not accuse you of texting in church if you use your phone to do that. Okay, we might just for fun. But anyway, you're welcome to do that. I'll wait while you download the app now. Oh, you're done? Okay. Luke chapter 1 kind of unpacks a story for us because what we're going to do is we're going to look at the different characters of the first Christmas and, and kind of unpack how they dealt with that because all of the conflicts that I've mentioned this morning, they're not new to the 21st century. This is not new stuff. It's been around since the beginning of time. So we're going to look at some of those Christmas characters of the original Christmas and through the lens of these ideas, these conflicts. Today, again, uh, Luke chapter 1, we're looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, he was a priest. She was his wife. Uh, it actually took place several months before Mary and Joseph even come into the picture in the original Christmas story. So let's unpack it. Zechariah had one of those supernatural events. He had one of those kind of wow moments when an angel appears and tells him that he and his wife, both of whom were up in age, that they were going to have a son. And when the son was born, they were to name him John. Uh, he would ultimately become John the Baptist and, and the one who, who told, who announced that the Messiah has come. So that's the story. That's the backdrop. Let's get into Luke chapter 1 together, see what we can learn about this tension between beliefs and doubts. You ready to get into it? Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Let's pick it up there. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So what you've got is this couple with great pedigrees. I mean, Zechariah was a priest from one of the highly respected priestly lines. Elizabeth was descended from Aaron, who was the right-hand man of Moses himself, and they are godly people in their own right. Both of them living a God-honoring life. But we see a little problem when we get to verse 7. It says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Can we just speculate for a minute? It's not in the text, but, but I think it's fair to speculate that they prayed more than once to have a baby. I mean, it's, it's important to most couples I know now. It was huge back then. And so I dare say they prayed a lot for a baby, but no answer came. No baby ever came. Gives us a glimpse into who they were and what they dealt with. No doubt there were some tensions between their faith in God and their wondering why he didn't answer their prayers. Now we know who they are. Let's see what they did. Verse 8 and 9 tells us that one day Zechariah got this great honor. I won't go into all the detail of the Old Testament period. You can get into the growth track and we'll teach you that eventually. But, uh, uh, but there's a point at which the priests would go into the holy place and they would light the altar of incense and, uh, and, and perform uh, religious acts for the sake of the people. The people couldn't go into the holy place. Only the priests could go in there. And one day, Zechariah was the guy from all the hundreds of priests who got selected to be the one to go in and light uh, the altar. Now, that's huge. 
I don't know if you get how huge that is, but it would be like me getting a call to go pray for the inauguration of the next president. I mean, it's, it's, it's big stuff. And so Zechariah gets the highest honor of his career as a priest. He goes down to the tabernacle to go into the holy place to light the altar of incense. No doubt, all of his friends and family, verse 10 says, all of his friends and family, they couldn't go in, but they gathered outside to, to celebrate that day and to be with him in support of that day. Everybody got the scene? Do you hear it's like this? Got it? Okay. Verse 11, here we go. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah has gone in, he's alone, he's about to light the incense, and suddenly, where there was nobody else standing and nobody else supposed to be, suddenly there's a man standing there that apparently was an angel of the Lord. And Luke says uh, Zechariah's first reaction was fear. His first reaction was startled. I mean, you can imagine if, if that chair beside you is empty and nobody's sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, somebody's sitting there. How many would freak out? Come on, be honest. You just freak out right now. Just, whoa, that's, well, that's what he did. He freaked out. And, and the angel said to him, first words out of angel's mouth was, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth's going to have a baby um, and he's going to be the light of your life. Uh, in fact, when he's born, we want you to name him John, and he's going to be the one to announce the Messiah is coming. In fact, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mama's womb. I mean, that's how special this child is going to be. But instead of settling Zachariah's fears, he doubts the message. Verse 18, Zachariah said to the angel, how can I know that what you're saying is true I'm an old man, and my wife is old too. I mean, right now, you know the guy's not in his right mind because he just told a perfect stranger that his wife was old. I mean, <laughs> but the bottom line is, this faithful man of God had doubts. Did you get that? This faithful man of God had Doubt. So with that backdrop, I want to explore a couple things. I want to explore three truths about doubts quickly as I can. And then I want to show you the two parts to overcoming all from Zachariah's story so that whatever doubts you may wrestle with, and we all do from time to time, let me just lean in and say this. Anybody that tells you they never have any doubts will lie to you about other stuff too. And so we're going to learn some things about doubts and what we can do to overcome them. Let's get into it. Truth number one simply is doubt is normal even for godly people. Doubt is normal even for God's people. Now, let's just be honest. Some people find it really easy to believe the supernatural. They just, from the time they're little, they just are naturally trusting. And when they hear stories about the supernatural, they just get excited. They read their Bible. It jumps off the page and they believe it. Other people are a little more skeptical by nature and it takes them a little bit longer. It can be a difficult journey for them to come to a place of faith, but they're honest enough not to fake it until they do sort it out. Kind of like the little boy that came home from Bridge Kids one Sunday and, and, and his dad said, so 
what did you learn about a bridge kids today? And, and the boy said, well, we learned about the time that Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and, uh, and uh, how all those people were and they got into the desert and they came up against the Red Sea and they couldn't cross and, and they realized Pharaoh's army was coming after them. So Moses called in all the engineers and they built a pontoon bridge across the sea and during the night they walked across that bridge. Well, the next morning they realized Pharaoh's army was coming and, and, and across the bridge and so Moses called in a drone strike and took out the bridge. And his dad said, well, son, is that, is that what the bridge kids people actually said? Well, no, but if I told you what he really said, you wouldn't believe a word of it. <laughs> Some people have struggles with doubts. Can I get an amen in the room? That's just real. It's natural to all of us. And Zachariah had them. So if you have some, you're in good company, okay? Even John the Baptist, later in life, after announcing, here's the Messiah, uh, he found himself with doubts at one point. I mean, he's the guy that said, behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. But later when he was arrested and in loneliness and in fear of the executioner, he sent a message to ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for somebody else? A anybody know what Jesus said about John later? Luke 7, 28 says, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Some people say Tom Brady's the goat, greatest of all time. Nah, Jesus says John the Baptist was the goat, the greatest of all time. Why? Because when he had doubts, lean in, hear me there. When he had doubts, he didn't live in those doubts. When he had doubts, he didn't live in those doubts. Zachariah faced his doubts when his fondest dream was dangled. This is too good to be true. We're too old. We want a baby, but don't think it can happen now. John experienced doubt when he was hurt and alone and afraid, uh, facing death. We no doubt have our doubts when things happen in our lives. Maybe, maybe you worked hard for a promotion and you were convinced you were going to get it and all your friends were praying that you would get it and somebody else got it. Somebody that you don't believe is qualified got the promotion. And what, what happened, God? Why didn't you answer my prayer? Or maybe you get a report from the doctor and it's not the report that you were hoping for. Or maybe, maybe your kids are making decisions and you don't know what to do and you're scared to death for them because of the choices that they're making. They're making adult decisions with adult repercussions, but they're still children acting out. Maybe, maybe it's when the doctor said we did all we could. There's nothing else we can do. And you lost a loved one. Many of these experiences of life. These are the challenges of living in this sin-cursed world when those kind of things happen and we prayed that they wouldn't happen that way, that they would work out differently, but they happen. It's common for doubts to come. Even good people who love the Lord, like John the Baptist. Another common scene that can bring doubts uh, to good people is when somebody else has a, a faith experience that they haven't had, like the one we call Doubting Thomas. We love to pick on Thomas and all of his doubts, one of Jesus' disciples. He wanted desperately to go along with the rest of the disciples, but, but he just didn't believe Jesus had been raised from the dead. Well, what you may or may not know is that the, most of the other disciples had seen Jesus. Thomas wasn't there. They had experienced 
all uh, uh, the aspects of the scars and, and all those things. And, uh, and Thomas hadn't. And so when Thomas said, I, I, I won't believe it till I see it with my own eyes and I touch the scars for myself. Understand, they had had an experience that he hadn't had. And Thomas needed that experience too. But maybe you've been in a service right here at the bridge. Some people around you, while we're singing, their, their hands are raised or maybe tears are flowing. And, and you don't get it. It's just like, oh, what's that about? You know, maybe, maybe they're having an experience that you haven't had. There's a joy that they seem to have, but you don't f- feel it. And, and it's not unusual in those moments, guys, for, for you to have some doubts about their experience or about your own. That's common. Good people have doubts. The second truth, though, that I want you to understand is that doubts are actually good if they lead to investigation. Doubts are actually good if they lead to investigation. The fact is, there's some times you ought to doubt. Can I get an amen? I mean, Solomon said in Proverbs 14, 15, a simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives gives thought to his steps. Can I tell you one area you need to doubt? When you get an email, doubt it. Even if it comes from a source that you believe is valid, doubt it, okay? For, there was a, for a while there, our staff was getting emails from me, and the email said, I kid you not, the email said, hi, this is Pastor Jim. I'm deep in prayer right now, so don't bother me, but I need you to go get a gift card and, and bring it to me at a certain place. I mean, and I'm, and, and I'm getting emails from our staff and texts from our staff saying, Pastor Jim, I don't think this is you, but are you in trouble? Do you need something? Are you deep in prayer and I can't bother you? Well, no, none of that's true. I didn't send the email, okay? Or you get hacked in Facebook. And I mean, this stuff happens. You ought to doubt those things when they come along. I ran across a news article the other day. The headline said, politicians barred from world champion liars competition. The article said President John Seth said the competition was for amateurs only. Well, should I believe that that's news or that's fake news? I See, that's not a really easy one to discern, but nevertheless. Oh, come on back. We're just having some fun. Doubts are common. They're actually good if they lead you to investigation, right? Understand there are two kinds of doubts. There's doubts of conscience and there's doubts of convenience. And make sure you understand, one is good, one is not. Doubts of conscience say, I can't believe something that I don't believe. I can't claim to believe it when I don't. But I'm willing to honestly investigate, go find the truth before I make up my mind. Doubts of convenience say, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's easier not to believe than it is to investigate. So don't confuse me with the facts I've made up my mind. Oftentimes, those doubts of convenience are because they want to maintain a lifestyle they're currently in, and they don't want to know the truth because their lifestyle would have to change. 
Other times it's because they don't want to know the truth because it would challenge something that a previous teacher that they trusted had taught them. And that's a painful journey to do. But hear me, guys, doubts are good when they lead to investigation, when they lead you to that place where you say, let's go find out what the truth actually says. That's the reason why Jesus was so patient with some people who had doubts, but not with others. When John the Baptist sent the messenger and said, are you really the one or is there somebody else coming? Jesus didn't throw up his hands and say, oh no, not you too. I mean, there's a lot of people bailing. I didn't think you would, John. That's not what he said. What did he say? Anybody know? He said, go tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf can hear, and the poor have the gospel. You see, John, Jesus knew that John was well-versed in the Old Testament. He knew that John would recognize that direct quote from the Old Testament prophesying that this is what the Messiah will do when he gets here. He knew that John would recognize Jesus is the one by that quote. He wasn't impatient with him because he knew these were doubts of conscience. He just wanted to be sure. He didn't give Thomas a hard time. I mean, when Thomas had doubts, he didn't say, okay, you're on probation from now on. You're a second-class disciple. You walk in the back of the group from now on. He didn't say that. What did he say? Anybody know? He said, touch my hands. See the scars. Let me show you what's going on. Why? Because he knew that while both of them had doubts, those doubts led to questions that, because they wanted to know the truth truth. On the other hand, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees had doubts whether he was Messiah or not, he knew they were not doubts of conscience. They were doubts designed to help them stay in their the lifestyle that they were in and the power that they held. And so he didn't pull any punches with them at all. He called them blind guides. He called them vipers. He called them white painted mausoleums full of dead man's bones. Come on, Jesus, tell me what you really think. <laughs> Didn't pull any punches with these guys because he understood the difference between conscientious doubts and convenient doubts. And he knew that doubts were good if they led to investigation, but they're not if they don't. Some of you know the, the story of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune some number of years ago. He married a Christian woman, and he doubted sincerely. I mean, he was an acclaimed atheist, open about his atheism, and, and he set out to prove that his wife had believed a lie. He wanted her to know that she had believed a lie, but the more he investigated, the more he researched, the more he realized that Christianity is true and that Jesus is, in fact, Messiah, and ultimately humbled himself and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and, and wrote a book, ultimately, called A Case for Christ. He wrote one called A Case for Faith, maybe if you haven't, then they're great books to read, similar to Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Those, those are doubts of conscience that say, I can't say I believe something that I don't believe, but I'm willing to investigate what the truth really is. Those books have helped tens of thousands of people overcome their honest doubts. My point simply is at least Strobel could have lived in his doubts. He could have said, you know what? I'm just going to go to church with my wife and pretend I believe this to keep peace at home. Uh, he could have done that. But he didn't. He investigated the truth. And when he found the truth, 
he humbled himself and accepted Christ as his Savior. Doubt can be good if it leads to an investigation. On the other hand, the third truth for the day is that doubts are bad if they disregard the evidence. Doubts are bad if they disregard the evidence. Zechariah learned this principle the hard way. He disregarded the evidence and it cost him for a while. Look at verse 19, Luke 1, 19 and 20. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their proper time, which says to me, if an angel did pop up in the chair behind you and told you he brought a message from God, it might be best to believe him. Because here's Zechariah, unable to speak at all. He can't say a word at this point um, simply because he didn't believe the message, which is quite a disability for a preacher. Though some of you might wish it happened to me every now and then. But I'm about 20 minutes into the message. Could, could an angel come and strike his voice now because I'm kind of done? Maybe that's how you feel. But the truth of the matter is not being able to speak is a, is a profound thing. I mean, some of you know people who have, who've had strokes and, and they recover from the stroke physically for the most part and, and they're able to think, but you can almost see the frustration in their eyes when they're trying to communicate, uh, but the, 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 it just won't translate from the brain to the mouth and say the things that are in their heart. Jeff is part of our church family. We love him and we're thrilled about Jeff and I don't have his permission to tell his story. He might be embarrassed if I'm doing it, but, but we're all excited as we watch him grow, but also as, we, as he serves the Lord, even during that long recovery process that he's going through. It can be a huge difficulty when you can't speak, but Zachariah maintained his faithfulness even though his doubts brought him this real problem. So when Zechariah came out of the holy place, his family asked him about his experience. Oh man, what was it like to be the guy that got to go in there and, and light the incense at the altar? He, he couldn't tell him. So he finally got out a tablet and wrote it out and said, I saw an angel and, and Elizabeth's gonna have a, a baby. So fast forward with me now, we'll bring this home. To, to nine months later, pick up the story in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. So excitement, this baby has come and everybody's thrilled, everybody's excited. Probably the most excited one in the room next to Elizabeth was Zachariah, but he still can't speak. He can't say a word. Verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 his name's to be called John. And they said to her, I love this part of the story. They said to her, there's, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. I mean, isn't that typical? Mom and dad spend months searching for the, just the right name for their child. They go online. They buy books about baby names. And they finally settle on a name that they love. And then when they tell the family what they're going to name the baby, the family goes, What? <laughs> No, there's nobody in our family. I wanted you to name the baby after me. That's kind of that's what's going on here. But I love verse 62. It said, then they made signs to his father, to Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child, as if to say, let's see if we can get some sense out of the guy who can't speak. 
see what he wants. Maybe we can talk some sense into him. Verse 63, 64, he asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak and the first words out of his mouth were praising God. When he obeyed, he immediately was able to speak, which leads us to how do you overcome your doubts? Two simple truths, I'll bring it home. We'll wrap this up. The first thing you do when you have doubts, and I think we've established that everybody does from time to time, the first thing you do is examine the evidence. Don't settle for half-truths. Don't settle for fake news. Investigate the evidence. Zacharias stayed faithful while he investigated, but he, he, he didn't sit back. When the time came, he had a decision to make, and he made it. So don't sit back and say, you know, I, I, I don't know what I believe, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to live in my unbelief. Guys, that's a cop-out. Examine what the Bible actually has to say. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what's the source of truth that you go to when your doubts come? Your feelings? The conflict between what you hoped for and what reality is? I mean, stop me when I get to the right answer. What is the source to go to for investigating the truth? It's go to the Word of God. What does the Bible say? It's the only document that has stood the test of time. Not one word, not one jot, one tittle will pass away even until heaven passes away. The Word of God is true. You can believe the Word of God. And so while I mentioned those books that are great books, and I encourage you to read them, don't just read books about the Bible. Read the book itself. I mean, get an understandable translation like, like the NIV or the message or, or, or one of those, but read the book. Don't wait for the movie, read the book. I suggest you start with the Gospels, maybe even start with the Gospel of, of John and the life and teachings of Jesus. I suggest you read it out loud. Something happens when you read it out loud and you hear yourself reading it. Here's the thought, read it to your kids if you still have kids at home. Let the word of God permeate your thinking. And what I'm saying is that there is great value in reading good books, but there is power in reading the word of God. And that power will jump off those pages and change your life. Romans chapter one, verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Say it with me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Second thing you do then is you act in faith. You act in the faith that you have. As soon as Zechariah acknowledged the baby's name, yeah, his name is John. I get all the reasoning. It ought to be named after somebody in the family. I get all that. But the angel told me we were going to have this baby, and the angel told me to name him John. So I'm naming him John, whether it makes sense or not. And he was able to speak immediately, and the first words out of his mouth were praise. The principle simply is this. After a season of investigating, there comes a time when you have to decide 
What do I believe and what am I going to do about what I believe? You see, at the, at the core of faith is choice. Faith is not just a believe word, it's a do word. When God called Moses to, to lead Israel out of Egypt, he went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. There was an action that had to take place before the miracle could come. When Jesus invited Peter to walk on the water with him, Peter had to swing his leg over the side of the boat and go walking on the water. When the Holy Spirit compelled Paul to go preach to the Gentiles and even the Jewish church that he was submitted to, uh, the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, even when they said, whoa, wait a minute, what are you doing here? He, he obeyed what the Holy Spirit told him to do. Hundreds of you, I mean, we stand behind this wall that represents the faith that you've demonstrated. How many times did I say over the last six or seven weeks that building for the generations is not a fundraising campaign, it's a faith building campaign. It's a unity establishing campaign. It gets us and our hearts are on the same page, leaning into the same thing and then taking steps of faith to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do through this season of really investing in the emerging generations. And I'm going to step out by faith. We're already hearing stories of that faith uh, producing great witness. You'll see some in the newsletter that I'll send you this week where one guy said we'd been told we were, my wife and I both were going to get laid off from our jobs, but we prayed and asked God what did he want us to do through the building for the generations campaign. And he gave us a number and we by faith wrote that number down and turned it in. And two days after we made the commitment, we got the call. Not only are we not getting laid off, I got a promotion and the raise is equal to the amount that we committed. You see, that's, that's acts of faith. Another guy right here in our congregation said, we made the commitment, and the next week we got a check in the mail. We didn't even know it was coming from an investment that turned out to be a, a, case, a class action suit. And I hadn't thought about it. And, and, and almost half of what we committed was in that one check within a few days. But as God just starts to show up, keep your eyes open, because he's going to show up for those of you that committed. And those of you that didn't, it's not too late. You can get in. You can be a part of this. In fact, I beg you to. I've said it over and over and over again. Fill out a card, put a dollar on it. I'll give you the dollar. If you, but, but get into this thing. Be a part of this thing. Because when God starts to, to set drug addicts free and they're sitting in our congregation praising God with tears flowing, you'll be able to say, I, I, I gave to make that possible. Yeah. When you, start, when you start seeing children leading us in worship, we're already beginning to see that. When you begin to see that, you say, I was, I was part of that want you to be a part of that. I want you to take steps of faith as God leads. I got to close. But I love the little story of the father who trained his toddler. He would, he would stand his toddler up at, uh, on the coffee table in the living room at one end. He'd say, stand here. Then he'd come around to the other end of the coffee table and he'd say, okay, run and jump. And the toddler would, you know, at first he was tentative, but eventually he got to where he would run across that coffee table and leap into his dad's arms. And over and over and over they would do that. And it just became this thing that they did on a regular basis. One night friends were over visiting and uh, 
and the dad said, hey, you, you want to do that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And so he got his toddler and he put him up on the coffee table and he went around to the other and he said, okay, run, jump. And the toddler ran down the table and he leaped and his dad caught him and everybody thought that was so cool. Dad said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Took the toddler back, put him at the end of the table, or the coffee table, and he said, okay, turn off all the lights. And he went back to the position. He said, okay, son, come on. And the toddler ran and jumped and his dad caught him. You see, he'd learned to trust his dad even in the dark. Even when he didn't understand, he couldn't see his dad, but he heard his voice and he trusted that voice. What am I trying to say to you? Faith walks in the light it has. But the reality is faith is going to the edge of all the light you have and then taking one more step. You hear the voice of your father and you trust it and you get to see him catch you in amazing ways. Let's pray. Father, you know us. You see us, you know who we are. And as we begin this Christmas season and we celebrate all the things that are related to you coming to earth, your son taking on the form of flesh, we celebrate the beauty of the Christ child and the miracles, the supernatural things that happened in that first Christmas and the supernatural things that happened in the 21st century Christmas as well. Help us with our doubts. Help us to be honest with them Help us to make them doubts of conscience, not convenience, doubts that, that demand a verdict, doubts that raise questions that lead us to find answers and lead us to the Word of God for those answers. And then help us, Lord, not only to investigate, but take the steps of faith that demonstrate our trust in you. Thank you for the faith that's already been demonstrated in this house. Thank you for what you're gonna do for all of us as we take those leaps of faith together. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I wanna lead you in a prayer. The prayer team's here. They would love to pray with you around the altars after the service, but at the very least, would you pray a simple prayer with me? Lord, when I have doubts, give me the courage to face them. When I struggle to believe things that I hear other people say, give me the courage to step out and do an investigation. Help me to find out what the Bible actually says. Put my trust in the voice of the Father who speaks through his Son, who is the Word made flesh among us. Thank you. And when I hear your voice, my answer to you, Lord, will be yes. In Jesus' name.